0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network, and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 153.
1: Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention, crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk.
0: And today we're discussing the original series episode, Court Martial. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuestMedia and retweet it on Twitter where we're at SQPN and leave us comments in our social media. We love to hear from you. So, yeah, this is a, a first season episode the 14th episode of the original series and i have to be honest it's not one i remembered off the top i had to watch it to remember what was going on this wasn't that really? there. yeah i don't know why that is i mean i remember hearing ben finney's name uh before but i didn't remember the plot of this one it was i guess oh. it's not one that's come up a lot
1: i remembered it very well I remember seeing it decades ago. I even remember lines about from it, like Spock's hammer analogy and stuff.
0: Right, right. Well, let me let me quickly recap what happens for those of you who may, maybe like mean don't quite remember off the top of your head. So, the Enterprise has just gone through an ion storm in space, which is a sort of space storm, space weather, and there was uh, an accident. A crewman who had been in something called the ion pod was killed and Kirk is filing paperwork on the death at Starbase 11, where the ship is undergoing repairs. Uh, But there's a discrepancy in the computer log that says that Kirk uh, pressed the eject button for the ion pod before he gave the guy the warning to get out, as opposed to after. And so there's this discrepancy between what Kirk remembers and what the computer log says.
1: Well, that, actually, te- technically, it's not before warning the guy to get out. It's before sounding red alert. Right, that's right, the right. key point.
0: Okay, yes, uh, I, I should say that. Yeah, because he did give him a warning. I'm going to hit red alert, and that's when you're going to need to get out. Uh, so that brings an investigation, and then brings charges of uh, ver- dereliction of duty, and you know, murder, or manslaughter, or whatever. Uh, so Kirk is the one that's on uh, on trial here. He's being court-martialed. There is also uh, this woman he encounters who is an old uh, flame of Kirk's who turns out to be the prosecutor. And we'll get into why that's kind of weird that she's the prosecutor in a a bit. Uh, And then he gets this old-time country lawyer named Samuel T. Cogley, who is Mm -hmm. his defense attorney. Who doesn't have a Southern accent. Uh, No, but he kind of comes across as the old country lawyer, and I have to do a Southern accent when I say country lawyer. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I I suppose he could be a country lawyer from... You know the UP of just, Michigan, he, but he's
1: he's just a Luddite. He's there's nothing country about him. He's just a Luddite.
0: <laughs> okay, okay, and uh, they they have the trial that the, it seems definitively going to go against Kirk uh, until Spock finds a problem with the computer that indicates that someone's tampered with it. And we'll get into that as, as well as as we talk because there's something very specific I want to m- mention about that and. That becomes a point of his defense. They go up to the ship. They go through this uh, exercise, which in- ends up indicating that there is still somebody hiding on board that shouldn't be there. It turns out Ben Finney is not dead. He staged his own death in order to frame Kirk, whom he blames for his failed Starfleet career. And there's a confrontation between Kirk and Finney. They He subdues him. And Kirk is cleared of all charges and is able to go on his way. There's, there's details I want to fill in as we go. But that's that's the uh, the broad strokes of it. Uh, I do want to mention one little bit of trivia. This is the first time that the words Starfleet and Starfleet Command are used in Star Trek. So they used to be like Earth Forces or United Earth Forces. And they've used other things
1: like that. United Earth Space Probe Agency or USPA.
0: <laughs> right. We've, had, we've heard that one. So, but this is really the the birth of Starfleet in in the sense of uh where we first get it in Star Trek, so that's what well, yeah, I, I think that was I think
2: they had mentioned it before, um, but we also hear that u s s stands for United Starship
0: right right instead of United Federation planet starship yeah uh they also throughout the episode use the adjective version of Vulcan as vulcanian i don't I don't remember that ever happening otherwise, or at least again after this, but uh, maybe you guys have a different memory on that but I thought that was very jarring to hear Vulcanian <laughs> used. Uh, so we have uh, Commodore Stone; he's the Starbase commander, and a uh, play very interesting, playably. Uh, by oh, I don't remember; I didn't write down the actual name. But I thought it was done fairly well. Um, he's the one who finds this discrepancy between Kirk's deposition and the computer logs, and immediately jumps to con- the conclusion that Kirk is lying or covering up instead of there being a possible error somewhere, mm-hmm. and. It gets angry. It seems out of place. And I think what we've got here is an early computer age story, you know, the 1960s, Mm -hmm. where it it highlights the fears of people have of computers being relied on too much and people suffering by by too much reliance on technology. What do you think? Am I off based on that or? Or did I, did I hit the nail on the head on that one?
2: By the way, he was played by Percy Rodriguez, who's an actor you've seen if you watch shows of this time. He's all oh, over yeah. the place. I mean, yeah, he's really mi- Mission Impossible, and you name it.
0: That's where I saw him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he,
2: he shows up quite a bit in Mission Impossible, the original Mission Impossible.
1: Right, right. So this is this is a man versus machine story, but more fundamentally than that, it's a legal drama, mm-hmm. and. Um, I don't know. So, why don't we give our quick personal impression? Of how did you like it?
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, I. I. I'll. I'll just throw it. I liked it. I. I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. There were. There were bits that felt a little, um, elated over. Like a modern legal drama would have a lot more back and forth, um, and the resolution. There were aspects of the resolution I wasn't happy with. Um. I. I, I didn't understand ben Finney's motivation. Or how he pulled it off. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and the the fact that Finney was, it turns out, crazy instead of just angry, I think kind of undercuts some of the, the impact of the episode and what he did. Um, but uh, but overall, I, I thought it was enjoyable. I thought it was mm-hmm. a, a decent Star Trek episode.
2: Father? Father Corey? You, you know, and I, again, you know, to, to re- repeat myself, but I, you know, i I watching TOS for the first time. This is my first watch through. And it's interesting to, you know, to go back and watch this, where this is very much a 1960s crime or, you know, legal drama, very much not to the standards we expect after Law & Order and things like that. But it it was, you know, it was actually, for what it was, a fairly entertaining story. I mean, that's kind of the interesting part is, you know, crime dramas can get tediously boring if they're not done well. Yeah, And I think they did a good job of keeping this one moving, where it was... There was an interesting story to it. Yeah, you did have a couple of of kind of clunker moments where it just kind of like okay, we can move on with this. We get the point. But they did a, um I, you know, I think it was a you know a fairly well done story all to all in all. One thing you you hinted at Dom about you know kind of the issue of the 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 prosecutor, the woman who was the prosecutor and relationship and stuff like that. And that's kind of like yeah, that wouldn't happen in real life, but yeah, you know that that's still, that still that gets that that interpersonal drama as well as the yeah the 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 crime and legal drama involved as well. Yeah. Jimmy, what's what was your impression? So, I remember this
1: episode from all the way back in my childhood when I saw it back in the 1970s and I remember lots of things. I remember it quite I mean lots of things about it. I remember the Star Trek dress uniforms, because this is the first time we get to see those. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember the trial scenes. I remember Samuel Cogley, Kirk's attorney. I remember Ariel Shaw, the prosecutor. I remember the confrontation with Ben Finney at the end of the episode. I remember the ridiculous microphone heartbeat masking. (laughs)
0: Yes,
1: (laughs) I remember all that stuff, and I remember liking it as a kid. And even I've seen it a number of times, I think, as an adult, and I remember liking it. but. Watching it with analysis mode on, I don't like it. It is it is not, to my mind, it is not well done. It has interesting stuff in it, but overall, it's just poorly constructed, and it really suffers from the fact. Now, it is, as we said, it's a man versus machine plot. It's playing with some of those fears, which still are justified about, Mm -hmm. you know, machines mm-hmm. relying overly much on machines rather than humans it's just now instead of them convicting you in court the machines are you know the worries we have now are like autonomous firing solutions that are g- going to kill all humans <laughs> but what it really wants to be is a courtroom legal drama and right. it's just the most wooden ridiculous courtroom legal drama now i understand that sci-fi has some complicating factors when you're trying to do a legal drama in a sci-fi context, but it can be done, and it can be done really well. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, I've seen other TV shows with courtroom dramas in them that were interesting, more interesting than this by a good bit. But if you want a really good example of a courtroom sci-fi courtroom drama done right, read the book Fuzzy Nation by John Scalzi. Mm. And if you can, especially get the audiobook version of Fuzzy Nation that's narrated by Will Wheaton. It is an outstanding performance by Wheaton, and it is an outstanding courtroom drama by John Scalzi. And at the end, it has twists and turns and good legal reasoning. And at the end, when you get the resolution, you just want to cheer. Mm -hmm. It is really well done. And by comparison, this is cardboard. You have a ridiculous hyping of drama. Now, courtroom dramas frequently take liberties. Like in reality, legal cases take years to process through the courts. And so I understand, for the sake of drama, they need to shorten the time scale and things like that. I'm not worried about that. But there is just so much implausibility in this. The official charges against Kirk. So the idea is the problem is he says that he went to red alert and then ejected the pod and if if he had not done that the enterprise would have been destroyed within 5 minutes so he had to eject the pod to save the ship but the key thing is that he that they're prosecuting him on is he, he hadn't gone to red alert yet that's what the computer log shows that they were still at yellow alert okay all, and, and then they charge him for denying this with perjury, even though he isn't under oath yet, and culpable negligence, which is the main thing that they're trying to get him on. Okay, fine. Culpable negligence and perjury, even though you weren't under oath, are the are real charges. That makes sense. But the problem is, there's, there's, there needs to be a sanity check here, because— Red Alert is a hypothetical dividing line, and they're treating it like it's an objective state that Mm -hmm. corresponds one-to-one with a grave emergency. But a grave emergency can exist, and you may not even have time to hit Red Alert first. There has to be leeway in the law in terms of assessing, was there an objective emergency that would have warranted the jettisoning of it? You can't just look at the bookkeeping issue of had you actually declared the red alert first, as if that were the ultimate deciding criterion. So the whole premise of the lawsuit is stupid. And then you have ridiculous stuff where Kirk and Stone are totally overacting with overblown writing to hype up the drama about this, where no captain has ever stood trial before, and (laughs) so— I I'm pretty sure that has happened before. Right. But uh you know so we want to shuffle you off to a desk job or we'll have to drum you out of the service for the sake of the of the of the fleet and and that's the the plea deal they offer him. Yep. But he and 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 Stone are just going at each other with overwritten dialogue and overblown acting and it's like Kirk is like a trial I demand it blah 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 blah. Yeah. And then they get into the um they get into the court to just stick to the legal part of this. And it turns out Kirk has never even watched the video playback <laughs> right. yeah. of of what happened on the bridge. Can you say discovery, and, legal discovery, where you're supposed to be yeah, seeing all the evidence? Like, yeah. This should have been in the discovery process. They would have given them all this, they would have watched all this, they would have gone over it frame by frame. And used um I mean, in the real world, they would then use um, computer analysis to try to find out mm-hmm. if the if the video has been doctored in any way. Photoshop. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, this and so this is obviously, I mean the solution is going to be this video is deep faked, right mm-hmm. They and I can cut them a little slack for not having all that at the time, but still, it's just it's ridiculous. You have Kirk's attorney, Samuel T. Cogley. Pointedly refusing to ask any questions on cross-examination of multiple witnesses, again, just to hype the drama.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and then finally, they, they, so it's like, your are your, your witness, no questions, and they do that repeatedly. Also, you have Kirk, you have Spock giving ridiculous testimony about Kirk could not have pressed the jettison button before the red alert button on his armrest. Because I know how gravity works, and if I drop a hammer in a planet with a positive (laughs) gravity, as if there were planets with negative gravities, which would fly apart and wouldn't be planets, Mm -hmm. the hammer will fall. And Kirk is just as as predictable as dropping a hammer. And I'm like, Spock apparently hasn't watched the computer playback either. Have you noticed how close the jettison button is to the red alert button? You <laughs> yeah. could press either one by mistake. It's stupid to put the two buttons that close together. He could right. have been trying to press red alert when he ejected. Yep. And then when you have the uh, the admiral in charge of the, of the court-martial call Cogley on why do you keep blowing off your chance to cross-examine the witnesses, it's like, Well, frankly, I've been waiting till we could get all of this preliminary nonsense out of the way, so we're dissing the legal process, that's contempt of court, thank you, Mm -hmm. Uh, so that we could get to the real meat of the matter. And I have in my my notes, insert inspiring but irrelevant legal speech here, (laughs) where Cogley then goes on for an extended period of time about historical precedents, including the Bible and the Code of Hammurabi and the Articles of Alpha 3 and all this stuff with an impassioned plea to let's go up to the ship and and do an actual test and and it just, gah, it just <laughs> it is all irrelevant paint by numbers writing there's
0: yeah. a there's a bunch of the, of that i want i want to talk about but that I, I on that last bit about the all the founding legal documents that enumerates rights including trial rights and the bible has stuff I in know, about trial I rights? <laughs> I was just
1: giving him that. Neither. I don't think Code of Hammurabi... I don't remember the Code of Hammurabi <laughs> discussing rights, but it's been a while since I've read it.
0: I want to go back to the, to, the, to the ultimate, the top question, which is, what is Kirk's supposed motive for killing Finney? Now, Shaw says, well, Finney hated you, therefore, when someone hates you that much, you start to hate them. So you want to kill them? Like, that doesn't... That, that, there is no... Understanding of this, (laughs) but
1: they're not—they're not charging him with murder or manslaughter. They're charging him with culpable negligence. So the the argument would be, Kirk has been harboring resentment against Finney, and that led to a lapse of judgment where he panicked and pushed the eject button before the red alert button.
0: Yes, I don't see how those yeah, two things that, connect. So, no. Yeah, so it's Little. it's
1: not it's not premeditated murder. It's a right. spur of the moment, accidental decision that was negligent, culpably.
0: But that's connected somehow to hating Finney. Like I just yeah, I didn't get that connection between like he was less he was less observant. He was more prone to negligence because he disliked the guy who was in there. I guess. Well,
2: well they yeah. had the whole the whole thing of. Well, you, you know, you made sure Finney was in that pod, and no, he was, you know, like the, the Kirk said, next no, I on want Finny in there, and Kirk, he's next on the list. And of course, they showed the a video, and sure enough, it's, who's next on the list, you know? Yeah. And he's well, the next I, one on the list. Oh, okay, send him in, you know?
0: Right. Well, then there was the other problem, which is, so how did Finney come up with this plan, this elaborate plan to fake the records of the infallible computer logs in the, in the time of because apparently you don't have long, uh, a lot of lead time in knowing about these space storms coming up, and he just at the snap of a finger figured out how to pull this whole thing off.
1: Right, and, and yeah. this is another point I wanted to raise too. Finney's yeah. plan makes no sense. How would he possibly execute this?
0: Right, right, yeah. And, and then what's what's the end game? Is he going to sneak off the ship? You know, I, I'm I'm now going to have to live a life of a lie and which, never talk to my daughter.
2: Which you think he <laughs> would have done. After they got to the starbase, when Gotten Kirk is holding yeah. trial, he would not hang out in engineering, so that the <laughs> yeah the microphone, literally an off the shelf microphone, was right. used as a prop. Could find you know find out that oh your heartbeat is still there. By the way, I love nope. how the computer could find the heartbeat, but you don't hear anything else in the ship, uh, right, uh, right?
1: Including the gurgling of people's intestines. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, well, our heart isn't the only thing in the body that makes noise, guys. Exactly. Well, and
0: also like the you have oh, internal sensors. We have internal sensors. I, I mean, I, maybe they haven't had internal sensors to this point in Star Trek. We eventually will have them, but yeah, it did. Yeah, it's overly <laughs> elaborate. And, and, uh, and we we things. do
2: have to give some leniency for the fact of this is very for computers and sensors and thing like that. Very primitive technology. Time, sure. you know, in the '60s. Yeah, yeah. you know that because I mean, when you look at the computer systems on the Enterprise they are basically just upscaled mainframes you know the, the the old ibm mainframes that we had at the time they just upscaled them to ship size that's really all they did and that's how they thought about them
0: well this is a, that's an interesting thing i wanted to bring up was about the like the computer technology so like there's a lot of uh confidence expressed in the inerrancy of computers they cannot make mistakes which is an interesting reflection on the time, on in yeah. the 60s. Yeah. Computers were new, and they must have expected that over time, they'd become perfect. Now, we, who have lived with computers in our daily <laughs> lives for decades, we know how often they oh. fail and, and,
1: and go wrong. Defrag, At, file corruption, reboot, memory error, uh, uh, chips going bad, all kinds of stuff. Yeah.
0: I've had a dozen, half a dozen problems with my computer this morning <laughs> before recording uh this or yesterday when my son's f- phone failed and all these other things so we're we're used to it or the falsification of data we we are very mm-hmm. uh, aware of that so i just i found that again i'm I'm giving them a a pass on that just because of the difference in our you know 50 some odd years later our experiences right. are different
2: well well mm-hmm. it is interesting to watch this you mentioned the word deep fake and that was something that had never been heard of in the 60s but now Deep fake technology, the the, the ability to t- make a video that looks and sounds, makes you look and sound like you're doing something you've never done, has gotten to the yeah. point where it is faking out people. I mean, it would be this, like, if you put that video in here in this trial, you could make it look like, yes, he really did push that button. Right. Even though right. he didn't.
1: And they handle that in a fairly decent way. Now, back in the 60s, they would have called that airbrushing. Mm-hmm. um because you would have used an airbrush to doctor a photograph so they had the idea of you know doing that and they would in fact note this was one of the things that Kremlinologists would do every year not yeah. criminologists but Kremlinologists would do every year was look at the photos that came out of the uh the like the Kremlin's May Day parade over in the Soviet Union and then over time they would note oh this guy is suddenly not in that photograph anymore if he's <laughs> right. been airbrushed out, he, may, he must have fallen out of favor. So they they had the concept, but I, I actually kind of like the way, given that they don't have the terminology yet to talk about this the way we do, they handle it reasonably well. They eventually come to the conclusion that the computer has been altered in such a way as to affect this imagery Mm-hmm. And they they say, uh, who would have who on board would have the ability to do that? And Spock says, myself, the captain, and the records officer. Yeah. And the records officer, of course, is Finney. And I would have think that there would be more people than that, but you know, fine. But that's a nice way to without getting into the technical details and coming up with a mm-hmm. bunch of techno babble to just address the concept. So I think they mm-hmm. did that well. But there are other aspects of the computer technology that they're way off on. The way that that Spock realizes (laughs) someone has been messing with the computer is he, Kirk uses the word chess in a phone call with him, and Spock is like, hmm, chess, I better go play chess for no reason, which he then (laughs) does, and he's playing the computer, and he beats the computer five games in a row. And... Now, this is kind of interesting, because at the time, this was an open question. Could you build a computer program that was sophisticated enough to beat a human chess master? That mm-hmm. had not yet been done. That was one of the early proposals of, okay, we're going to have, that, that'll be like a key benchmark in right. the development of artificial intelligence when we're able to write a machine program that will beat a human chess master. And it was some years before that actually happened. So right. I could see how that would be interesting to the audience. But the problem is that's a completely sip- separate system mm. yes it, it's going to have nothing to do with making a deep fake if you if you make a deep fake on this computer you're using completely different subsystems and subroutines than you and apps than you would be using to play a chess program right. and so the two should just have nothing to do with each other
0: yeah if if the if the tampering is so so pervasive that it's messing up the chess program uh i'd be a little worried about <laughs> antimatter containment well, light yeah. <laughs>
1: you're gonna need to do a nuke and pave on the entire <laughs> ship's hard drive if that's yes. the problem right? yes
2: well and, and again you know this is like i said it's taking the old ibm mainframes and scaling them up to ship size sure and the idea of a multi-processor multi you know, m- multiple memory banks, multiple hard drives, all that stuff was so completely foreign back then that yeah. this idea that, yes, a-, a chess program uses a completely different method of the computer running than, again, you know, uh, video storage does, you know, so. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, again, that's the conception of how computers worked was still in its infancy at the time. And so, I mean, I, I'm i willing to give a little slack, but I just, I did and, think it was a little amusing.
2: And let, let's be honest, the, the, the writers of Star Trek probably weren't exactly computer professionals either, so they probably didn't have a really good idea of what computers were like oh, anyways. They,
1: they didn't have good ideas about other things that were well-known in the 60s. At one point, uh, when they're doing the experiment to track Finney by his heartbeat, Kirk orders that the sound over the speakers be increased, by, or no, he says that, uh, the, that they're able to increase the sound of the heartbeats by one to the fourth power. It's like, <laughs> one to the fourth power, really? Is, I, they didn't teach can, you in high school that one to the fourth power is one? <laughs> oh, right. <yeah. laughs> one
0: times anything is still yeah. one. Well, one times one t- itself. One, Sorry. one times
1: yeah. one times one
2: times one is still right. one.
0: Right. One times itself, no matter how many times you do it, it's always going it, to be you, one. You know that yeah. they meant like one
2: with Tenth four zeros afterwards, 10,000 yeah. times, you know? But yeah. yeah.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about uh some of the the, the character moments in this episode. Uh uh, the, uh let's talk about Ariel Shaw. So she's the lawyer, the prosecutor that we first see in the uh, the officers club, the in the in the bar where uh, McCoy goes to put the moves on her. He's very smooth. I know. Yeah. yeah. Really?
2: That was great.
0: <laughs> I I did like my I think the the best line there was, "All my old friends look like doctors. All his old friends look like you." Which It's a bit of a misogynistic, like, doctors are all men, (laughs) but, yeah.
1: It's also not a great pickup line if you're reminding (laughs) her of her former love while you're trying to pick her up.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, that's a uh, good—and then we have, like, there was an interesting moment, like, so when Kirk gets together with her later, he's trying to woo her, but she cuts through the baloney and tries to give him good legal advice— Advice which oh, she yes. should be disbarred is, for.
1: Yeah. And she should not be having communication with
2: him outside of court if she's the prosecutor. Right. Well but not, not, yeah. not just you know as that, but also conflict of interest of this is a former love interest that apparently you're still friendly with. I know. And now yeah. you're gonna prosecute yeah. him. Do you don't think there's a conflict of interest where maybe you should recuse yourself from this trial? I right. try
1: well she should. Um and I tried to even headcanon that, even though they don't properly explain this, I tried to headcanon that is as, as okay, this is a star base, maybe they have a you know, one JAG agent here who can mm-hmm. serve as prosecutor. There's no one else who's qualified to prosecute this case and so under an exigent circumstances
2: situation she could be pressed into service to do it. But that's all headcanon. Yeah. And they also say that some of the other officers had to be brought into the base. They could have brought in a JAG brought officer at the same yeah. time.
0: Yeah. Right. Or Cogley could have been the made the prosecutor, <laughs> you know, because <So>, <laughs> well, it just but, happens to be well, the civilian was lawyer in, yeah. there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, the, I mean, they there need to be two lawyers somehow. Right. Um, yeah. But I, I agree. It's bad writing. She, in the real world, she should not have been on this case apart from bizarre circumstances prevailing. Mm-hmm and it's just included to have the love interest for kirk also be his prosecutor as part of amping up the drama right so then we've got cogley who is a ridiculous obsessive crackpot as he himself <laughs> yes. admits he's he he's a luddite he he, oppo- he he opposes the use of computers as you know for storing legal records he's got all of these enormous books that he Without permission, moves into Kirk's apartment on the Mm starbase, and they play absolutely no role in the plot. Right? They (laughs) it's it's like, come on! If you're gonna if if you're gonna go there, and have a ridiculous luddite with a book fetish, at least make it relevant to the plot. Right? You know, have him have some obscure volume that never got scanned into the database, and so he's got some useful, you know, precedent mm-hmm. that has been lost to the computer system or something. But no, yeah. it's just here so they can bash bash books and go or bash computers and go, yay, books better than computers when they're not. And, and yeah. not for the purposes you're using yep. them for. Exactly. And um and it has nothing to do. It's it's meant to be character it's meant to, it's meant as characterization. But it's such a trope. I mean, we already have Dr. McCoy guys. We don't need Samuel mm-hmm. T. Cogley.
2: Right. Well, right. And it's you know, kind of funny is, you know, all three of us, we're book guys. We like yeah. books. We all well, have lots of books. <laughs> actually,
1: I don't. I oh, mean, you don't have I have thinking. I have lots of books. I don't want lots of books. Yeah. The on. the only books I have are the ones I cannot get electronically right.
2: because I yeah. vastly prefer electronic.
1: Right. Well, and that's those that, that yeah
2: that was be my my point too is Jimmy, you and I both use the Verbum software, which is an Mm -hmm. excellent theology and Bible software, for searching all this stuff, that it's a lot quicker to do a show me this than it is let me go to my bookshelf and start searching through the books and, and, and.
1: Yep. And if you're a lawyer looking for legal precedents, computerization is exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Right. As any lawyer today would tell you. You know, another character who I I don't understand their purpose in this is Jamie Finney, which is Ben Finney's daughter who happens to be living on this particular star base uh, you know, she exists in the like so in the beginning she comes in and she's mad at she's named for Kirk because Finney and Kirk were used to be friends, and she's angry at Kirk, which is understandable and then later she,
1: on she, a, a, she, actually her, her when she when she first comes in jamie's has this rant against Kirk yeah. where she's like you murderer. And I think mm-hmm. she I don't know how old she's supposed to be, maybe 16 or something. Right. I don't think I think the actress is probably older than that, but I think the character is meant to be like 16 or something. Yep. And that old because she has this kind of space teeny bopper outfit. Mhm. But uh she, that's a good performance. You know, her I mean, sure. initial rant against Kirk is a good performance. She's she's very emotional without being completely over the top. And then we have, as you were about to allude, Dom, this character development with her where she turns out to be, it, and a lot of it's conveyed without words as she's listening to court testimony, mm-hmm. but she also comes around and realizes that Jay, that uh, Kirk can't be blamed for what happened here.
0: I, I was wondering that. It's like, because as I was rewatching it, I was thinking, is did her dad reach out to her and now she knows he's alive and therefore Kirk should not? suffer the consequences
1: or is it she that, just changed her mind well the the line they give us they don't it's logical to wonder could she have had contact with her dad but they never say anything to indicate that what they do say is she went back and read some letters that her dad had sent to her and her mother and mm-hmm. that opened her up to realizing how close friends they had been right and that kirk would not have done this mm-hmm. and so she she now wants to get Kirk off the charges that are against him, even if it means him taking a desk job.
0: Right. So there's also some interesting Kirk development, the character. So we have this scene in the bar where he he encounters other starship captains oh. who, are, who are immediately hostile to him because I, they're I all see, friends with Finney.
1: Yeah, icy, passive-aggressive catfight. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was... It was uh, immediately hostile and uh, suspicious of Kirk.
2: And these were all classmates of his, so they all had the same class because this, this Vinnie had been a professor at the academy right. and, you know, and, and then went to the same ship Kirk was on when he found the error, uh, which was, you know, something like a, they how they they put it? Like a circuit was open. In other words, a switch was open to the uh, reactor. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah and it was the very, ship very would dangerous. Have, <laughs> ship would yeah. have blown up in five minutes if Kirk hadn't closed the switch and then he- right filed a report to indicate this happened and that sent finney to the bottom of the promotion list right right
0: yeah it 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 kind of highlights kirk's meteoric rise through the ranks mm-hmm. you know that kirk went straight up to the top to starship captain and there there are undoubtedly there are always guys like finney who just don't go anywhere in their career and there's like so there was that incident and also that he spent too long at the academy instead of out on a ship and that sort of thing and that sort of put the, a taint on his career and that sort of thing but but he ends up blaming Kirk which is I'm wondering like why is he on the enterprise <laughs> at all if he's yeah. got this if Kirk knows this guy doesn't like him Well, I, that I assume he was
1: just assigned there and I mean father you can speak to that kind of issue more than I could I mean on a on a in a given unit do people get assigned in even if their commander may have some personal a few personal issues
2: with them obviously it couldn't have been grave right yeah well it's it, it's you know i mean yeah I, I especially when you're talking that kind of level where you're talking you know lieutenant commander commander captain it's much more important than say like the level i was at as you know lowly senior airman it's like the commander's like who's that oh yeah he's yeah. one of my senior airmen who cares you know right <laughs> um so I, I mean and you can see at that kind of level where Again if an officer is offered okay you need to go to this base this ship and he goes and finds out who is who's new CO is going to be and he might go uh do, do we want to rethink this you know right and, but ultimately yes it could happen that yes you are assigned to the USS Enterprise you will be the you know the the second in command third in command and oh by the way yes we know that you and your uh, new CO have had bad blood in the past deal yeah. <laughs> right right in in so yep. many words
0: one of the things we talk about is from the structural point of view of this episode there was a co- two really strange things that they did in this they had so one of the things that star trek often does especially in original series is we we link bits of the story together through captain's log it's a, it's a conceit of the series where we get linking narrative information through a captain's like, star date da, 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 such and such has happened and that brings us from act two to act three in this episode, they threw in two other moments of Kirk voiceover, which are not captains' logs, which are kind of just like we're you know we've got a plot hole here, we've got to fill up with some mm-hmm. information, and we're just going to have Shatner read it. You know, and it just it felt. I mean, did that strike either of you as, as odd to me? One of them was with Kirk saying Sam Cogley had gone ashore to bring Jamie Finney on board. We felt Jamie's presence would take make Finney easier to handle in the event Finney really were alive. And then we have. Kirk stocking finney in the engineering
1: father
2: i you know i i guess i just figured because he wasn't he was on trial that he was his captaincy was suspended i don't know i it, i think it was trying to fit that model of the captain's log but making it clear that he was not doing like it was a personal log you know and and i don't know i don't remember have they had personal yeah. logs at this point yet
1: yeah, I, I didn't. It didn't bug me. I because we do. We're used to Kirk voicing over information. Whether they mm-hmm. technically include the words "captain's log," "supplemental," or "personal log" at the beginning, it it goes down naturally. I don't. I don't notice okay. the absence of those words in this case. Okay,
0: I thought it was a, a bit odd, but maybe that. Yeah, maybe it's just the, I but the absence of that kind of struck what, me.
1: What? 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 I. What strikes me more is when they the logs are describing an urgent situation as it's emerging and mm-hmm. it's clearly right. not these clearly are not after the fact reporting it's like right. we're in the middle of an emergency and you're taking the time to do a log really <laughs> <laughs> right right well, hold on hold
0: on with that thought hold that thought i need to write this down <laughs> yeah so uh, the other thing is, the resolution of this is, so they've discovered Finney on board, and the the, the only people on board are the members of the court, marshal, uh, you know, the court in the, on the bridge, and a couple of bridge officers, uh, I think just Uhura and the helmsman, not Sulu, mm-hmm. uh, some other yeah, guy. Yeah, he was off,
1: George Takei was off filming the Green Berets.
0: Oh. That's why he
1: vanishes for part of season one.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, so- the Finney's. So the, they they have found Finney, and Kirk has to go fight and find him. And I'm thinking, is this really the best idea? Kirk's on trial for <laughs> for kill, you know, killing Finney and sending him alone with a phaser it, to hunt him down. I
1: know <laughs> conflict of interest. Finish the yeah. job. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you have you, number one. There's a security service both on the ship. And now they've evacuated the ship, but they could bring back some security guys. Yeah. or just use the starbase security or the bailiff. You know, this this court is going to have its own officers. Right. And mm-hmm. so there it should not be Kirk. This is a massive massive problem with this trial to let Kirk go track down this guy. And right. they try to put a fig leaf on it by Kirk saying this is my problem. Yeah, in a way that disqualifies you from dealing with it. <laughs> right, yeah. right.
0: And then we have this confrontation and fistfight in engineering between Finney and Kirk where uh, I, I'm watching it in modern high definition <laughs> yeah. and seeing the stunt doubles is really oh, good. So fun. Yeah. It, we, we get to see uh,
1: Kirk. Um, we get to see Kirk repeatedly change back and forth into his stunt man. And during the <laughs> obligatory fist fight for the climax of the episode. Yep. And right. then we have an intentional, unintentional wardrobe malfunction. And in the words of the immortal Alan Rickman,
2: So you managed to get your shirt off.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. The the Kirk Kirk shirt has to get torn. I think it's contractual.
2: (laughs) I I wrote down the same exact line right as soon as I saw that. It's like, yep, exactly. That's funny. There's also another bit of hilarity in this sequence
1: where, so to give us a ticking clock, Finney's Finney's plan has changed. Originally, he was just going to ruin Kirk's career. But now he's going to destroy Kirk's ship. He's going to destroy the Enterprise by causing its orbit to decay. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how did he know they were... Well, anyway, I, I guess there are ways he could know once they start evacuating what's going on. Right. He's also apparently a computer genius, so he can be monitoring their communications. But mm. his, now, his new plan is, I'm going to... Or actually, I have shorted out your technology stuff so that your orbit will begin rapidly decaying. And this must not have been a very well put together orbit because satellites can stay in orbit for decades without Mm -hmm. their orbits decaying. But the Enterprise is having its orbit decay rapidly, and I'm going to kill everybody on board, including all of the officers of the court, because those officers and gentlemen all are the people who were holding me down. They're the man. And right. so um, there they deserve to die, too, as do all the other innocent crew members at my level for some reason. But as the orbit is decaying and they're try- Spock is on the bridge trying to bring back the power to restart the impulse engines and failing, he tells the, the officers, of the court, gentlemen, please go to the transporter room, which is exactly the right call at this mm-hmm. moment. And mm-hmm. Admiral Stone interjects with, "This court has not yet reached a verdict." And I'm going, dude. <laughs> if Finney's, there, Finney's not it, dead. <laughs> if yeah. there was a ticking, he, yeah, Finney is not dead. So your charges against Kirk just evaporated. Yes. You have to try him on entirely new charges if you want. You can declare a mistrial right here. And furthermore. If you were in a if you were in a courtroom where the key legal issue had not been settled and was still open, and there was a ticking bomb in the building, you would evacuate in real life, <laughs> right? You could right. reconvene at a new
0: location. Yep. Uh, they no, they these are these are men made of sterner stuff than you or I, and they will they, well, they'll face down danger because they're starship They'll captains. go on with the
2: ship regardless.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's more bad writing to hype the drama. Also, the, the person that, that Finney does not want to die is Jamie, his daughter. Yeah. And so Cogley has gone to get her and bring her on the ship, and we never see her. Right. We're just told in Kirk's voiceover, she must be, or Kirk says to Finney, she must be on board by now. And it's like, that's not the way you negotiate with this guy. As soon as Jamie is in the transporter room, you get her on the phone and then get engineering mm. on speakerphone. And have appeals to Dad to stand down from massive crazy plan. But J-
0: Jamie being on like that whole bit of we we brought Jamie aboard plays absolutely no role in the rest mm. of this episode. Like there's well, no
1: it it motivates Finney to give up and spill the beans um, about what he did to the ship so Kirk can fix it.
0: Uh, he still so fights
1: it- Kirk at that point. He does, but eventually yeah. Kirk beats him up, and it's enough. It's it's one of the contributing factors so that Jamie won't have to die. Mm. That and the beatdown, <laughs> but they did, They just don't play it the right way. If that's what you want right. to do uh, with Jamie, then show, don't tell.
0: Right. So I mentioned earlier that they made Finny to be, you know, he's crazy or mentally ill instead of mm-hmm. just full of malice. I feel like it would have been a better better story. If he was just full of malice, he was just a bad guy instead right. of, I feel like it was kind of an easy out to make him, mm. you know, Kirk could be the bigger man. It can hold him and they're there, Ben, we'll get you some help. I don't know. I just
1: felt like it would be, He's just, He's just a bad dude who needs to be put in right. jail or something, you know? It would have been harder to make, sell the friend, the prior friendship with him and Kirk, as opposed
2: to a guy who, who became mentally right. ill
0: I suppose. I suppose. Yeah, that's and
2: that's that really is kind of how they played it, where it wasn't up until this point where he just went off his rocker, basically. You know, yeah. Again, they had been, you know, Jamie Jamie had said that, oh yeah, I'd read all his, like you said earlier, read all his, you know, letters, and they're such great friends, and all of a sudden now he wants Kirk to lose his command. Well, it's because he went nuts, went space crazy. Yeah. Well, his resentment began. Yeah. There you go. Yeah,
0: his resentment began after the Kirk filed a report on him and his career stalled, but. I see what you're saying that it, yeah, it could, it could be. I I, I got
2: the feeling though, Kirk was, Kirk was an ensign when he filed that report. This was early in Kirk's career. So I got the feeling it was, you know, Finney had forgiven him for that, realized that he was in the wrong and that it wasn't Kirk's, but then as he went crazy, it came back. Yeah.
0: Okay. I suppose that's, 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 that makes sense. Uh one other little detail I really liked was it, at the end when they're trying to recover the ship and tr- get things restarted and, and save it uh the only officers like I mentioned on board were the helmsman and Yuhura and Yuhura jumps onto the navigation console yeah, yeah. she's not just an operator she knows what she's doing
1: they have exactly. cross training on that bridge that is great that is good management practice if you've yes. got if you've got essential functions in this one control center you want as many people as possible being able to swap stations, and I loved seeing Uhura take over as the navigator. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And she's
0: cool under pressure. She was mm-hmm. cool. That was really good. I like that. So uh, let me think. Anything else that I uh,
2: I got all my details. Anything else, Father Corda, that you wanted to mention? So I, I had to laugh when there was a line about no starship captain stood trial. Is that like no starfleet officer is committed mutiny or trade yeah. as a traitor?
1: Yeah, uh, discovery. (laughs) All these things are going to
2: get walked back. Yeah, yeah. It's um, and then you know they. I I love how they talk about you know finding the ion storm. So they take the idea of storm so literally. So they've got a weather scan and a meteorology department. It's like okay, so they're literally looking for meteors, not just weather, but (laughs) meteors. (laughs) Literally. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was it. But it was just I got such a kick out of that. It's like yeah, they're literally talking about weather. (laughs) Yeah, weather in space.
1: Jimmy. So, um, at the end of the episode, we don't. Cogley vanishes from the show as soon as he goes off to get Jamie, and we never see him or Jamie again. But at the end, in the final scene, we have Ariel Shaw come back on the ship. She's on the bridge. She's flirting with Kirk. She even kisses him
2: on the bridge, and they
1: hang a lantern on it. Would it cause a total breakdown in discipline if a lawyer kissed her? former lover on the bridge or whatever and right. kirk's like let's find out <laughs> um, <laughs> but she informs her her other function in this scene besides to get the flirting in is to give us exposition about what's happening with finney and cogley and jamie and so forth and she says that cogley is going to now be the defense attorney for ben finney mm-hmm. and says he'll get him off and kirk bets that he probably will win and i'm going Yes, he probably will win if all of the witnesses are now leaving
2: from what (laughs) just happened.
1: (laughs) Um, But Cogley has an interesting point early on. If you scrape away all the irrelevant bloviating about legal precedent, his fundamental point is Kirk should have a right to face his accuser, which in this case is a computer. Now, in reality, this would have been done during discovery. Yes. Mm But, yeah, okay, there needs to be a testing of the computer systems that Kirk should be able to do. Now, they've already had Spock do a check to see is there any evidence of tampering with the computer or other error with the computer. Mm-hmm. But Spock's doing that on behalf of Starfleet. Kirk should have every right as part of Discovery to run have his experts run tests on the Enterprise's computer. And so even though they do it in a kind of ridiculous way, the going up to the ship to do the heartbeat test with the off-the-shelf 1960s omnidirectional microphone light <laughs> sound device, yes, is actually makes legal sense. So that's good. Another thing that's kind of a um lim- a couple things that are limitations of 60s television. Uh, you know, when Kirk first starts the episode and is giving us the opening captain's log, he says that we've been through an ion storm and these dramatic events have happened. And it's like, oh, it would have been nice to see that, you know, right. rather than just hearing about it. And eventually they do give us the video playback of what's happening on the bridge during the ion storm, but we never see the storm itself. Right. And that would be nice to have seen, but it was 60s television, and they had much more limited special effects budgets. Also, another limitation of 60s episodic television is oh, this close personal friend we've never seen before, despite the fact he's serving on the shame, same ship, comes out of the woodwork and has a grudge against Kirk. Mm-hmm. And it, today, we would have that set up much better. We would have seen Finney a long time before now, right? before right. this happened. But it was just the TV of the time. Yeah. And speaking of times, the most important thing we haven't discussed, all of those 23rd century space fashions Because normally we just see the crew in their uniforms and that's it. If it's a bottle episode, we see nobody else. But Mm -hmm. here we get them in dress uniforms for the first time. We see lots of civilians on this star base, including Jamie in this silver space skirt and kind of naval looking Little Sailor Moon. I don't know what you call that. Just, it is <laughs> yeah. kind of like Sailor Moon, I guess. Yeah. We get to see Ariel Shaw in her psychedelic paisley dress. We get to see the like the bartender in the same bartender uniform I think we see later on in Trouble with Tribbles. Mhm. So we get oh, and we get to see the Starbase. Mm-hmm. Which is really different. Normally it's all spaceships, but we get to see the Starbase here. And so visually this episode is more interesting than what we normally get right that's true that's true uh, that i did it really exp- i mean in, in that sense it really expands
0: the star trek universe a bit this episode it gives us more of the world around the enterprise than we had mm-hmm. before so i, I, do, I yeah. do like that
1: oh, also nice. like in the uh, remastered version that i watched They've got, when you see the Starbase, they've got people walking around in the lighted rooms at the Starbase at night yeah. that are clearly added in digitally.
0: I, I like the, added, the updated special effects for in, the space, too, like the, the, mm-hmm. seeing them working on repairing the Enterprise from the damage yeah. and that sort of stuff, uh, which you didn't get in the original. I, I like these new special effects that they've done, they've remastered for the, the original series because they're updated, but they don't look like, you know, like, I don't know, Star Trek Discovery super right. modern they still feel part of the time they just look better and i, yeah. I like mm-hmm. that agreed all right i think that should do it for us we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of star trek including leonides s megan s neil p Rhonda m and meg p their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of star trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of Court Martial? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the animated series episode, The Survivor. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, she's
2: a very good lawyer. Obviously. Indeed, she is.